Jonah, as Father Mapple notes, does not request release. But perhaps he does not beseech the Almighty for the lifting of his punishment because Jonah seems to believe that the justice of God requires that sin be punished in all cases. However, God seeks, in most cases, not punishment but repentance. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 185. Melville, Moby Dick, and Father Mapple. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Shipmates! This book, containing only four chapters, four yarns, is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul, Jonah's deep sea-line sound. What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet. What a noble thing is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterously grand. We feel the floods surging over us. We sound with him to the kelpy bottom of the waters. Seaweed and all the slime of the sea is about us. But what is this lesson that the book of Jonah teaches? These words open a sermon by a fascinating character in Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Prior to Ishmael's sailing on the Pequod, he attends a church service in what is called the Whalemen's Chapel, wherein he hears an address from a man of the cloth by the name of Father Mapple. Today, ladies and gentlemen, is an unusual episode of Bible 365, for we have, if you will, a substitute teacher. I am, in a certain sense, offering my podcast pulpit to Father Mapple. Or perhaps we can say, I will let Father Mapple, in his pulpit, occupy my podcast. We will utilize his sermon as an exegetical lens through which to study passages of the book of Jonah, and take away from this, hopefully, not only the author's insights, but also a sense of an age when the Bible mattered profoundly to the literature of America. In order to appreciate Father Mapple's insights, let us look carefully again at the beginning of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Jaffa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. These verses are often read by rote, but Father Mapple in his sermon takes note of a seemingly redundant and therefore fascinating phrase. We are informed by the Bible not only that Jonah found the ship going to Tarshish, but that he paid the fare for travel upon it. Why do we need to know this? Isn't it obvious that the prophet would pay whatever was required to travel? Do we think that he would secretly stow away? For Father Mapple, the verse is intending to conjure in our minds an image of a man who is so desperate to flee that he will pay anything to get aboard. Thus, Father Mapple gives us a bit of imaginary reading of his own in order to conjure this up in the mind of his congregational audience. Mapple says to the sailors surrounding him, quote, Now Jonah's captain shipmates was one whose discernment detects crime in any, but whose cupidity exposes it only in the penniless. In this world, shipmates, Sin that pays its way can travel freely and without a passport, whereas virtue, if a pauper, is stopped at all frontiers. So Jonah's captain prepares to test the length of Jonah's purse, ere he judge him openly. He charges him thrice the usual sum, and it's assented to. Then the captain knows that Jonah is a fugitive, but at the same time resolves to help a flight that paves its rear with gold. Yet when Jonah fairly takes out his purse, prudent suspicions still molest the captain. He rings every coin to find the counterfeit. Not a forger anyway, he mutters, and Jonah's put down for his passage. Point out my stateroom, sir, says Jonah now. I'm travel-weary. I need sleep. Thou lookest like it, says the captain. There's thy room. Jonah enters and would lock the door, but the lock contains no key. Hearing him foolishly fumbling there, the captain laughs lowly to himself. 
and mutter something about the doors of convict cells being never allowed to be locked within. End quote. So Father Mabel in Moby Dick says to his congregation. Now much of this, of course, is nowhere in the biblical text. It is the invention of Melville and placed in the mouth of his literary creation. But it is a fascinating depiction of a biblical reader attempting to divine a picture of Jonah's character and of the larger setting. Father Mapple then offers a pshat, a biblical explanation of his own. He says, quote, All dressed and dusty as he is, Jonah throws himself into his berth and finds the little stateroom ceiling almost resting on his forehead. The air is close, and Jonah gasps. Then, in that contracted hole, sunk to beneath the ship's waterline, Jonah feels the heralding presentiment of that stifling hour when the whale shall hold him in the smallest of his bowels' wards. End quote. In other words, Melville is suggesting that the bowels of the ship in Jonah is no mere birth. It is a scriptural signal of the belly of the sea monster yet to come. Indeed, as the book of Jonah describes, a storm tosses the ship. Jonah identifies himself to his shipmates as a Hebrew and tells them that it is because of his own fleeing from a God whose power is everywhere that the storm has been brought upon them. Jonah therefore asks them to throw him into the sea, and they comply. Jonah is then swallowed by a dog, a fish or large sea creature, that was sent, summoned by the Almighty. Jonah has gone from the depths of the ship to a very different chambers in the depths of the sea. But as Melville no doubt understands, there is an enormous difference between Jonah's actions in the belly of the ship and what he does, how he speaks, in the belly of the aquatic specimen in which he now finds himself. In the ship, as we saw yesterday, Jonah slumbers. Here, beneath the waves, he does the opposite. He prays. And what he says is striking. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah says, so he prays. And Father Mapple, or Melville, notices what is most fascinating about this. Jonah never says, God, get me out of here. Release me. Allow me to escape from the depths of the sea. For Father Mapple, this is the precise point. And here is what he says in the sermon. Quote, And now behold, Jonah taken up as an anchor and dropped into the sea when instantly an oily calmness floats out from the east, and the sea is as Jonah carries down the gale with him, leaving smooth water behind. He goes down on the whirling heart of such a masterless commotion that he scarce heeds the moment when he drops seething into the yawning jaws awaiting him, and the whale shoots to all his ivory teeth like so many white bolts upon his prison. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord out of the fish's belly, but observe his prayer and learn a weighty lesson. For sinful as he is, Jonah does not weep and wail for direct deliverance. He feels that his dreadful punishment is just. He leaves all his deliverance to God, contenting himself with this, that spite of all his pains and pangs, he will still look towards his holy temple. And here, shipmates, is true and faithful repentance. 
not clamorous for pardon, but grateful for punishment. And how pleasing to God was this conduct in Jonah is shown in the eventual deliverance of him from the sea and the whale. End quote. Jonah, the preacher stresses, does not ask to be released from the fish. He accepts his punishment, and that is why he is released. Father Mappel applies this lesson to the lives of his own congregants. He says, quote, Shipmates, I do not place Jonah before you to be copied for his sin, but I do place him before you as a model for repentance. Sin not, but if you do, take heed to repent of it like Jonah. End quote. So Father Mappel says, But is this correct? I think one can take the opposite approach in interpreting this text. Jonah, as Father Mappel notes, does not request release, but perhaps he does not beseech the Almighty for the lifting of his punishment because Jonah, as we will see tomorrow, seems to believe that the justice of God requires that sin be punished in all cases. However, as Jonah will learn tomorrow, God seeks, in most cases, not punishment but repentance. He would much rather forgive if atonement is achieved. But despite my disagreement with Melville's pshat, the sermon of Father Mabel is haunting nevertheless, and Melville's further description of the preacher is fascinating. Melville describes a storm outside as the sermon is being delivered. Quote, While he was speaking these words, the howling of the shrieking, slanting storm without seemed to add new power to the preacher, who, when describing Jonah's sea storm, seemed tossed by a storm himself. His deep chest heaved as with a groundswell. His tossed arms seemed the warring elements at work, and the thunders that rolled away from off his swarthy brow and the light leaping from his eye made all his simple hearers look on him with a quick fear that was strange to them. End quote. Father Mapple then wisely warns the sailors that we are all too often in Jonah's position. We each have a mission from God, but we seek too many times to run away from the presence of the Almighty and do what we will. Here is how he put it. Shipmates, it is a two-stranded lesson, a lesson to us all as sinful men, and a lesson to me as a pilot of the living God. As sinful men, it is a lesson to us all because it is a story of the sin, hard-heartedness, suddenly awakened fears, the swift punishment, repentance, prayers, and finally the deliverance and joy of Jonah. As with all sinners among men, the sin of this son of Amitai was in his willful disobedience of the command of God, never mind now what that command was or how conveyed, which he found a hard command. But all the things that God would have us do are hard for us to do. Remember that. And hence, he oftener commands us than endeavors to persuade. And if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it is in this disobeying ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists. End quote. In Moby Dick, Melville also describes Father Mapple's pulpit. It was made to look like part of a ship. Or as he puts it, quote, its paneled front was in the likeness of a ship's bluff bows, and the Holy Bible rested on the projecting piece of scroll work fashioned after a ship's fiddle-headed beak, end quote. For Melville, this was a metaphor, and he continues, quote, What could be more full of meaning? For the pulpit is ever this earth's foremost part. All the rest comes in its rear. The pulpit leads the world. From thence it is the storm of God's quick wrath is first descried, and the bow must bear the earliest brunt. From thence it is the god of breezes, fear or foul, is first invoked for favorable winds. Yes, the world's a ship on its passage out, and not a voyage complete, and the pulpit is its prow. These are Melville's words. The Bible, in other words, is the front of the ship of state, and it must serve to guide 
and direct its affairs. There was once a time when Americans believed this and when its culture proclaimed it. The Sermon of Father Mapple is an incredible sampling of what American literature once was and what, perhaps, it can be again. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.